Thank you, Shane. Appreciate that. Great reminder for us to be looking to the Lord. The psalmist says, uh, from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Well, um, good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. We, are, we do have some families missing, and you may have noticed there's something else missing this morning in the church, and that is uh, we have removed the backslider rows in the back of the uh, <coughs> church. So the backsliders had to find another place to sit. Um, no, we just kind of made that executive decision because we just don't need them back there anymore. And it was kind of scant up here far seating goes and people are moving farther and farther away, uh, especially on this side. So um, we just made a decision. Well, we don't need them. Let's get rid of them. Then we can be a family again. Everybody can come. Uh, come on in a little closer. So, also another change to our services. We did have scheduled a baptism for this morning. It's in the bulletin, and, and we've been uh, announcing it, and that's been postponed. Lance hadn't hadn't changed his mind about Christ. He's still very committed, and he is he's uh, very determined to obey the Lord in baptism. But knowing that there weren't going to be that many people here, and it's it's a big event, and it's a public proclamation. Uh, made, a, I think, a great decision to postpone it for another time. So we will not be going to the waters today, but we can anticipate the joy of that and the celebration of that at some other time. So appreciate that. Well, we are in the book of the Bible that teaches us about the king and his kingdom, and that is the gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 3 this morning. And for the next several weeks, um, other than Communion Sunday, where we preach on Psalms. But we're going to camp here in this chapter for a while. There's a lot to learn. Up until this time, really, the first two chapters, Matthew has been talking about the king. And he has been laying out his divine credentials, his great, the great worthiness and value of Christ, uh, and how from every different angle, this newborn baby is God's king and the earth's king by divine right. And so really for two chapters, we've heard a lot of talk about the king. So much so that after we finished chapter two last week, I thought, you know, I'm excited about this great king that God has sent. And I want to hear what he has to say. I want to hear what the king has to say because we're excited about God sending him. But we don't get to hear what the king has to say until chapter four. Before the king speaks, we have to hear what the king's herald has to say, because by God's plan, he sent someone before the king specifically. An individual to make way for the king, to prepare the way for the king. So before we get to hear the king speak, we have to hear the king, the king's herald speak. And that herald is John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus says of John the Baptist that there was no other greater born of woman than John the Baptist. What is so great about John the Baptist? How can Jesus make that kind of statement? Uh, I mean, think of all of the great ones of the Old Testament. Moses, Abraham, David, Solomon, 
And yet Jesus says John the Baptist is the greatest. Won't make it there this morning, but we'll, we'll uh, whet our appetites for what could that possibly mean? Where is Jesus coming from? What does it mean to be great? <clears throat> so who is this John fellow? He's a very unique character. And what we're going to look at for the next several sermons is uh, we're going to look at the man, John, this morning. Then we're going to look at his message. What did he have to say? What did God send him to say? And then his ministry. You know, did it work? Did people listen? And how did it all go down? Um, so let's get started. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of chapter 3 in the book of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We won't get there this morning, but what is this um, heaping with repentance that bears fruit that he speaks to these Pharisees and these scribes? We'll have to look at that as well. Well, I think John the Baptist is definitely one of the most unique characters in all of Scripture from front to back. I mean, he is interesting. Everything about him is unique. His preaching style is unique. His message is unique. His lifestyle is unique. His diet is unique. His wardrobe is unique. His ministry is unique, his birth was unique, and his death really is unique. The courage that he has, the way he, do, he does things is very unique. So, he's an intriguing fellow. And I think when you think about John the Baptist, I find myself admiring things about him, but not really wanting to be like him, because he's kind of weird, he's kind of strange. So there's, you're not even sure what to do with him. Should we be like him or not? I don't know what to do with this guy. He's got just some strange habits. So let's talk about John. Who is this guy? Well, he is Jesus' cousin. 
born ahead of him by six months. He's born to Elizabeth and Zechariah. His parents were very old. And I'll read the scripture that talks about this in a second. But his parents were very old. They were childless. Uh, not only were they elderly, but they were childless because um, she was barren. His mom was barren. Could not have children. Until, that is, an angel visited them. And again, when God shows up, things often change in our lives. And this angel informed them that they will have a child and even names their child for them and says his name shall be John. And the name John means Jehovah graciously gave or God's gracious gift. We have some gifts named John in our congregation as well. His father was a priest. He served in the temple. But John did not follow in his footsteps. Rather, he became a preacher. <clears throat> now, I'm going to read this account and pay attention. It's in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. But just remember that as these words are spoken towards the end here, kind of prophetically about what John will do, we're on this end and we kind of already know what John's ministry was. But just imagine that you're hearing these words for the first time because it would make you curious. Well, how's that going to happen? What's that going to look like in his life? Unfortunately, we know the answer. So there's no anticipation there. But it's interesting to see how God describes him and then it, how it actually plays out. Luke chapter one, verses five through 17. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So we get a little window into Zachariah's prayer life. It's no surprise, I'm sure. He had been praying for a child, maybe, most likely, even a son. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. What does it look like to be great before the Lord? He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, remember, we don't know how this happens yet. So we're thinking, now how's he going to do that? And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord. A people prepared. Talk about a plan for your life. 
How, how many times have we said, oh, God, what is your will? What is your plan for my life? Please just tell me. And yet John already has a plan for his life from before he was ever born in eternity past. God had a plan for John's life, he even told his parents what his name would be throughout his life. Comes into the world with the spirit of God upon him with a particular message. All the promptings of the spirit was was to encourage him and prepare him and aim him in the direction of this ministry that he will have. And that ministry is specifically to prepare the people for the arrival, the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's why he was born into the world. His parents, he was very fortunate to have godly parents, upright parents that raised him in the admonition of the Lord. And we don't know anything about his childhood. We know very little about Jesus' childhood except for that one incident in the temple when he's about 12 years old. We know nothing about John the Baptist. So how did he get from being born to being about 30 years old? Now he's in the wilderness. <clears throat> so... All the gospel writers just skip that. We don't know anything about it. But here he is. He shows up kind of mysteriously. He's living in the wilderness, basically like a hermit, maybe like an outcast. Uh, he's kind of wild seeming, or at least lives in the wild. He has no formal education that we know about. He has no formal uh, successes to brag about. We don't even know what kind of trade, how he makes a living. He may not even make a living. He might just be... Uh, a preacher. Maybe people donate money to him. Um, yeah, well, that wasn't meant to be a joke, Corky, that he may not even make money. Uh, he just shows up and he comes on the scene with one mission. Verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching. Preaching, that word just means to proclaim, to announce, <clears throat> to herald things. The word came before that is a Greek word. And it, it means the arrival of an official, not just this is not just an ordinary person. This is someone of great stature, someone of great importance. He has a specific thing. He's been given a, a specific task or title. And it is to be the forerunner of Jesus, to be his official herald. Now, perhaps you've seen movies that depict this, but it was common in Ancient times for kings to have heralds. I mean, literally, people would go before them or, or a specific person would go before them to proclaim the king is coming. And there are two, really two reasons why he was employed to do this, a herald. One is to let people know, hey, guys, your king is coming. So it enables them to know that and also to prepare the way. For the king to come. So it's the herald rallies people to clear the road or the path. And that day we didn't have blacktop. And they didn't have blacktop like we do. Uh, they did have potholes but not blacktop. But it was a lot of dirt paths and rows. And so literally there could be rocks in the way. There could be trees or something in the way. And it was the people's job to, to literally clear the path. Because this important king is coming. And so that is the purpose for the position that John 
serves. <clears throat> that was very typical or customary. But what wasn't so customary, of course, is the magnitude of the king that he is announcing to the world. He is introducing the world to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And never has a king like this ever been introduced in the history of mankind. And another thing that wasn't so customary is that the road that the people were being called to prepare for the king was not a literal dirt road or rock road. It was the road of their hearts. Their hearts were to be prepared. The, the, the debris or the obstacles that may be in their own hearts need to be moved out so that they can make way for the reign and rule of Christ the king. That is what John the Baptist was telling them to do. He does this by breaking the silence. When John comes on the scene, suddenly, Israel had endured 400 years of silence from God. That is, God did not send a single prophet. No one for 400 years had said, thus saith the Lord. They just kept going on. Malachi was the last. And so, of all people, to break the silence is this guy with his strange wardrobe, strange diet, and kind of an unorthodox ministry of baptism. And he comes and he preaches. John was not just known by the name that God gave him. That's how his family knew him. But the people described him as John the Baptist. Because he attended First Baptist Church of the Wilderness. And so he became, no. It is because they called him basically by what he did. Baptize people. He's the guy who baptizes people. That's John. That's how he was known. And baptism in that day was not a typical thing. And we'll have to wait to look into that as well. But how many times do you read in Scripture about baptism as being a regular or routine thing or part of a revival or part of anybody's ministry? It is a very extraordinary and unique thing that, what, that he is doing, and we'll look at that later. But it's very, very profound. And so he was known as this guy who baptizes people. Uh, he was born under the Nazarite law. He was voluntold by God, just like Samson. Samson was voluntold by God to take this voluntary vow of being a Nazarite, not to be confused with being a Nazarene, which Jesus was a Nazarene because he came from Nazareth. That was the location. This was an actual vow. The word Nazarite or Nazar means to be separated, to be consecrated, and people could willingly, voluntarily take this uh, season of their lives where they're going to abstain from certain things, uh, no strong drink, no drink from the vine, no wine. Um, they weren't supposed to cut, their, shave their beards or shave their heads bald, let their hair grow, um, and, and basically abstain from worldly things, worldly pleasures, consecrate themselves and tuck themselves away to... To meet with God specifically. Uh, they might have a particular reason to do this. Maybe they, they really they want to know God in a specific way. But it was something that they just did for a season. John did it his entire life. Giving up things in hopes of getting more 
of God. It's kind of a refusal of personal gain and personal pleasures. And he dressed strangely as well. He would not make the cover of GQ magazine today. He has camel hair wardrobe. What's that all about? Well, that was kind of the utilitarian dress of the day. It might be what we would consider, say, your Carhartt bib overalls or something. It was just they're sturdy. It was a sturdy outfit, something that would last, was very durable for the wilderness, as opposed to the soft, fine linens that others often wore. And he also had this crazy diet of locusts and honey. The idea is that this guy just doesn't really care about fashion, doesn't care about the latest, what people are wearing, how to be on the in crowd. Uh, what are people eating now? You know, the health kicks and, and different things. He's just, he's very purposely simplistic. I've got a job to do. I'm just going to put the clothes on to get the job done. I'm going to eat what I need to eat to stay close to God and keep life very, very simple. He didn't get caught up in any way in worldly fads of any kind or even religious fads of any kind. And we all know that even today... The way we dress speaks something without us, without us ever having to say a word, does it not? I mean, we, we could dress a certain way because we know if people see us dressed in that way, they're going to think, oh, he must be or she must be this kind of person. So if, if I want people to think I'm wealthy, I could be dirt poor, but I could borrow some of your nice clothes. And, uh, and, and dress very nice, maybe borrow some of Corky's nice watches and stuff, and go out into the public and people would look at me and say, oh man, he's a, that guy's got money. All I did was dress that way. Or you, people that might want to be known as an athlete will wear their, will wear their uh, active wear all the time. You know, no matter where they go, they got their... Their uh, workout clothes on, and so people will think, man, they must work out a lot. They must be really fit and trim. And so we, we can wear them for the right reasons, but we can also wear them for the wrong reasons. But John just didn't going to play that game. He's not going to go for any of that. He's just wearing what he needs to live where he needs to live and to do what he needs to do. Very simplistic. This diet of locusts and honey. Now, what is with that? Well, it turns out that that's kind of a food, and even Arab nations eat it to this very day, locusts. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a bug. It's that, it's that noisy bug that we hear as well, that winged thing. It's kind of scary because it's big and it's crunchy. And they ate, he ate it. And he had, I guess he washed it down with the wild honey that was available in the wilderness that you could get to. So that's, that's what he did. I, I, I would think that he had to eat more than just locusts because, I mean, I can't imagine myself getting full off a of locust. Um, but that's all that we know about that. So, you know, again, even his diet, just, just the, it's kind of like eating oatmeal every day. You just eat, that's just what I eat. It's all I need to sustain my body. And that's what he did. I find it interesting, speaking of fads, that of all the Christian diet fads that have come in and out of the church through the ages, the Bible diet and the Daniel diet and the Deuteronomy diet, and I've never seen the JB diet, the John Baptist diet, come through the... Oh, what's with that? 
Do we pick and even pick and choose our diets and our fats that are going to come through? And I would venture to say we would we would probably be a little healthier. Maybe drop a few pounds with the JB diet. Maybe that's yet to come. There's something about the locust that is not very spiritual, I guess. I think. And by the way, uh, God says, you know, if you got a craving to eat bugs, maybe you're pregnant. You want some pickle juice and some bugs or whatever. You can do it. It's right there in the scripture in Leviticus 11. Among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have joined legs above their feet. So you got to examine them before you eat them. Which hop on the ground. Have you ever seen any bugs hop on the ground? Well, of them you may eat the locust of any kind. Any brand locust you want. Chirpy, non-chirpy, crunchy, non-crunchy. The bald locust. Didn't know there was a bald locust. Uh, I've never seen one with hair, but I've... I've, The cricket. You know that thing you stomp because it keeps you up at night? Just eat it. The grasshopper. My dog eats grasshoppers, chases them around the yard. Uh, But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. So there are things you can't eat. But glorify the Lord in eating of bugs, but kind of stick to the locust family. The idea, there's a sense in which this diet and this wardrobe, it's kind of, well, it's making a statement. It's a protest against some of these things. It's a protest against some of the worldly way of doing things. It's just staying very, very um, simplistic as not to get caught up with those things because we can get caught up with those things. And John's not about himself. He's not about the fads. Uh, Maybe some great foods are out there, some state fair foods or whatever. They're coming through. But he, he wants to make much about the king. That's what John's all about. It's very evident with his lifestyle. His entire life is lived. I just want people to love the king. I want people to worship the king. It's not about me at all. Now, he was so unique in his dress. And he looked like another Bible character in the way he dressed. And who would that Bible character be? Who did John the Baptist dress like? Who knows? Front row. The new front row. Who knows? Who John the Baptist? Who did John the Baptist dress like? What Old Testament prophet? How about this front second row? You know, Elijah. And so people are kind of suspicious of this weird guy because he's dressing like another prophet, and that is Elijah, who also wore camel hair with a leather belt. You guys knew the answer, but you're being humble. So, as a matter of fact, they wanted to know, uh, is this Elijah? Could this be Elijah? And why would they ask this question? Because it was foretold that right before the king would come, he would have a herald. He would have somebody that would come and prepare the way. And that person would be the prophet Elijah. So the Jews were expecting the arrival of the prophet Elijah. And they're kind of suspicious because they're like, hey, wait a minute. This guy fits the bill. Is he Elijah? So John 1, 19 through 24. This is a testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? If you ever want to know some, who somebody is, just send somebody to ask him. He confessed and he did not 
did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he he didn't give them the answer that they were looking for. He flat out says, I am not Elijah. So then, who is he? Well, as I said, the Jews were expecting Elijah to come. And it's kind of sad, but uh, even today, the Jews are expecting Elijah to come because they know that Elijah has to come before the Messiah has come. And so they're waiting for Elijah and they're waiting for the Messiah. Uh, And at Jewish festivals, uh, the Passover, they set out a cup, customarily, For the prophet Elijah, lest he might come. And for the celebration of circumcisions, they set set a chair for the prophet Elijah to come. Because they want him to come, because then that means the next step is the Messiah to come. So they're still waiting for the prophet and the Messiah. When the last book of the Old Testament closes... The prophet Malachi says this. Some of the very last words before the 400 years of silence. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. In other words, look, the next man on the scene is going to be Elijah. And he's going to prepare the way of the king to come. So how do we make sense of all this? He looks like Elijah, but he says he's not Elijah. And yet Malachi says Elijah's coming before the king and John the Baptist certainly came before the king. Luke 1, 17. This is Jesus speaking. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To, I'm sorry, this is Luke. This is prophecy. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So this is what John the Baptist is doing. This is what Luke, we read it in Luke. This was prophesied of what his ministry would be. And it's a description of Elijah. So let, now we'll let Jesus clarify it for us in Matthew 17, 10 through 13. The disciples asked Jesus, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So how do we make sense of all this? Elijah is, I'm sorry, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Elijah will come. It's just that he did not. The person Elijah did not literally come. He came in the spirit of Elijah, in the ministry of Elijah. So that prophecy was fulfilled. Just not literally by the same person. It was John the Baptist, a different person fulfilling that role. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, 
The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah, which is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus is saying, this is the Elijah, if you're willing to accept it. If you have ears to hear, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He is doing exactly what the prophet said he would do. That's what his ministry looks like. If you are willing to embrace it. And we know they did not embrace it. They, they rejected the herald and they rejected the king. The herald was beheaded and the king was crucified. He came to warn them. He came to introduce the world to the king. To offer them the kingdom. But they didn't want the forerunner and they did not want the king. They rejected him. And that's why we have a lot of the book of Romans. Because they did, they did not receive him. And therefore, Israel was laid to the side. And the kingdom was opened up wide to the Gentiles. And Gentiles started coming to the faith and flooding in to the kingdom of heaven. I want to kind of close with this thought. One of the things as we read about John the Baptist and the importance of his ministry, and yet the way that he went about it, something that really intrigued me was, I think to myself, if this is the most important herald that has ever been in the earth, then why, God, would you put him out in the wilderness to announce to the world the coming of the king? Wouldn't it make more sense for him to be in a big, busy city where you're going to see a lot more people? That's where things are happening. And he's got probably got some kind of booming voice. You could put him near the temple gates or he could just walk around the city. He could proclaim the coming of the king so more people would hear it. As a matter of fact, why would he wear these very, not even just ordinary clothes, but unattractive clothes. Wouldn't it make more sense? I mean, if, if you're going to take the messenger and the message seriously, wouldn't it make more sense to take him to the men's warehouse and get him a real nice suit so he can walk around and preach these words and people will look at how nicely dressed he is and know this guy means business. So then his message would be better received. So, so he there, there just seems like it could have been done in a different way. As a matter of fact, it almost seems like John the Baptist was set up for a failed ministry. To look like that, to dress like that, to eat like that. I mean, you, you're going to invite somebody for lunch? Who, how can you expect anybody to take him serious or for anybody to even like him? And yet, God heralds the coming of his king... Out here in the wilderness and Judea, this area really is wilderness. You can Google it today. It's rocks, it's dust, it's dry. People don't live there. You, you can't hardly scratch out a living there. So what is going on? And who can he possibly reach in the wilderness? And yet that's what God did. The most unlikely person seemingly and the most unlikely place with the most unlikely clothes and kind of a unique, unlikely message. It's a statement. 
I believe. Because God is doing a new thing. And we're going to read basically from chapter 4 on out. We're going to hear the words of the king. And you're going to see what has happened to people's faith. And the religious system. And the temple worship. And basically it has become all of the flesh. Jesus is going to confront sin after sin. They have this beautiful, ornate temple place of worship where it's all supposed to happen. And yet their hearts are evil and wicked. The leaders, the priests, scribes, the teachers of the law. It's all a show. It's all the flesh. It's all hypocrisy that they've ruined it. They've defiled it. And so God is basically saying, you've you got to come out of that system that you've set up for yourself. You've got to come over here in the wilderness. There's things that you have to give up or you're not going to have ears to hear. But when you can leave the trappings and the system that you're caught up in by the expectations and the pressure of men and come out here and just hear the simplistic gospel, the message, with, with simplistic person dressed in camel hair, then maybe you'll have a chance to hear the message. Now, that's radical. That's calling people out of the temple into the wilderness. And it is, uh, he's not just the forerunner of the king, but also an entire new system, an entire new way to worship God in spirit and truth outside of the temple. And that's the message, I think. And the way we can apply it is that there are things, even in our faith system, that though they may have good intentions, can be of the flesh. And we can get caught up in worldly fads, even Christian fads. A lot of them are coming and going. Now, I've been a Christian for 33 years now. And I've seen a lot of things come through the church. You no, know, you've got to study this book, or you have to do this kind of Bible study, or you have to homeschool, or, or you've got to eat this kind of food, or you've got to listen to this kind of conference speaker. This is where it's all happening. And it's just fads. And we can get trapped in things and, and turn our faith into just trying to please man so that they'll think I'm a true Christian or I'm really along in my faith and very mature. And it's a vicious cycle that we get trapped in. They were trapped and it was all of the flesh. So he calls them away from it. Let's just get down to the simple things. Not worry about what other people are thinking about you. Just get with God. So it's like a retreat. It's like a wilderness. Leave those things behind. John is beautiful in the sight of the Lord, it says. When he was a baby, before he was born, that's what was prophesied about him. And look how he lives. And yet, in God's sight, he was beautiful. And then you have these people with the fine clothes, very wealthy. Because it's a sign of God's blessing, right? The cars we drive, the houses we have, it's a sign of God's blessing. It means we're doing something right. That's still in the church today, isn't it? And don't people portray that you have to dress a certain way or you're not, a, you're not up to a caliber of kind of Christian you ought to be? You need to own certain kind of Bibles, take certain kind of Bible studies. That can trap us and it can become of the flesh. And what a profound and sobering warning for us to think about maybe there are things in our lives that we're doing just to please man and somehow 
Along the way, God's left out of it. And God's not even in the temple. God's walking around outside in the wilderness. The Son of God, Jesus. We'll see. So, the clutter, the Christian things, the good things to do, the cares of this world. Having to dress way, the diet eats, you know, you're, not, you're just not one of us if you don't do these kind of things. We, if we're not careful, we can miss the Christ. So that's what we want to wrestle with. And we need to wrestle with that in order to prepare our hearts in order for Christ to reign and rule in our hearts. That's the challenge. What are our priorities? Because sometimes worldly clutter can actually hinder our ministry. We're so busy with that that we're not doing what God has called us to do. Keeping up with the Joneses. Trying to maintain all. It's a rebuke against materialism. We can spend a lot of time trying to maintain all of our possessions and forsake the ministry and our relationship with God. We'll be here. There's much more to learn. We'll be here several more weeks. We've just scratched the service. But let God speak to your heart this morning as he blesses the preaching of his word. Amen.